You're listening to the podcast of Rain City Church. Isn't it amazing what God can do? That's what I want us to think about uh, today, even after seeing that video um, of, of the incredible things. There are so many stories that I think we just get so used to hearing uh, that maybe perhaps it just becomes background noise in some ways, but I think it's, it's, it is a very, very good thing for us to pause occasionally and just think, isn't it amazing what God can do? Isn't it amazing what God is doing? Uh, even as we hear these stories as we're sending this team. Um, as we continue this book, uh, the book of Acts, in this series called Unchurch, I uh, hope you've been uh, following along with us uh, doing the reading plan. If you haven't, you can still hop in. I'll catch you up here in just a moment. Um, but it's a, it's a really incredible book, this, this book that's really about the birth of a movement, the birth of a church. And uh, it looks very different than, I think, the way that we look at church now, which is why we called it unchurch. And so we really want to look at the whole idea of a movement. The movement is exactly that, something that's moving, something that's alive, something that's happening, uh, as opposed to a monument. A monument is something that, uh, you know, memorializes something that's happened, and it's more about keeping it nice and clean and as is and the way that we've always done it. A lot of churches look like that. We want to continue to be a place that looks like a movement. And every movement needs a missionary. Uh, if you look at, you know, you can go back uh, into uh, early on in the Bible, you would see that, uh, you know, Abraham, there is no, there is no Israel without uh, Father Abraham, who had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them. So are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Right hand, left hand, Father. There's no Exodus without Moses. There is no America without George Washington, right? There's no emancipation of slaves and eradication of slavery uh, without Abraham Lincoln. There is no civil rights movement without Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, there are no Yeezys without Kanye, okay? Every movement needs a missionary. In fact, this is a pretty interesting, uh, I don't know if you saw in the news recently that Kanye says that he has become a follower of Jesus, that he is now a Christian and will only be making gospel music from now on. And uh, some of you groan, some of you roll your eyes, some of you think, I, yeah, uh-huh. Because I think in our culture, this might be the perfect example of somebody that we go, yeah, right, that's impossible, but I want to introduce you to this guy today. Uh, his name is Saul. Uh, Saul. There is, no, there is no church without Saul or Paul, as we're going to see here in just a moment. Because what he did radically changed everything. I mean, he took this incredible movement that Jesus started, which was very small, when Jesus was here, and then he took it and made, and he was such an incredible and effective missionary to go out to all of these places and spread the good news to tell people about Jesus in a very effective way. But if you knew him, you would think there's no possible way that that guy would be a follower of Jesus. There's no way that Kanye's only making gospel music now. 
What's even crazier to say is there's no way that Paul is a follower of Jesus and is going out to be a Christian missionary. So who is this guy, Paul, Saul? Well, let me, let me just tell you a few things about him. If you have uh, your app, I would encourage you to open the notes. There's, uh, there's, there's quite a few notes here that I did, just didn't even do a lot of fill in the blanks because there's plenty to just kind of follow along on. But if you go into your app and then, I don't know why I just opened my phone, like you guys can see this. So and then you click this and then this. And then, so click on resources at the bottom, and then you click on message notes, and you can see the message notes there. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about, about this guy named Saul, or Paul. He was a devout Jew. Matthew, I'm going to switch mics. This sounds like the radio frequency is going a little weird here. So uh, Paul, or Saul, he was a devout Jew. Um, he uh, was raised in a very strict, devout Jewish home, he tells us. Uh, Saul was a dual citizen. So um, he probably, because his family was, was rich or he came from privilege, that's usually why people, uh, Jewish people have dual citizenship. So to, what that means is that he is a Jew. He is a citizen of, of Israel. Uh, but also um, because that Israel is occupied by the Roman Empire, he is also a citizen of the Roman Empire, which is very rare. Uh, and so uh, it's interesting that he has dual citizenship. Also, it's worth noting that uh, there's, uh, you know, it's it's a it's popular to think that Saul was his name before his conversion, and then Paul was his name after his conversion. And that's not necessarily true. Uh, probably more likely, it has a lot more to do with his dual citizenship because you can see there's several places where even Jesus refers to him as Saul after his conversion. Uh, in Acts 13, he's referred to, again, as Saul. It's not until he actually leaves Jerusalem that then Luke, who wrote Acts, starts calling him Paul. And so it probably has a lot more to do with his Jewish name is Saul and his more Roman name is Paul. That's probably more uh, what, what, where we get the dual name for Saul and Paul. However, we don't ever see him called Saul again after Acts 13. So do with it what you want. Um, Saul was very well educated. Saul uh, was educated under uh, a rabbi named uh, Gamaliel. And if you know the Mishnah or one of the Old Testament uh, like commentary books, he, he was very... Uh, he, he wrote a lot of that. He was very influential, uh, and he taught a very strict form of, of how to be a Pharisee. Uh, and so Saul, or Paul, was, uh, was very well versed in, in this very strict form of religion. He also spoke multiple languages thanks to his education. He spoke Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek, and many scholars believe he also spoke Latin as well. He studied at the University of Tarsus, which in the Roman Empire was among the most respected universities there. So we are talking about a very unique individual, someone who comes from privilege, someone with dual citizenship, uh, someone who speaks many languages, someone who knows the Old Testament by memory, okay? We have a very unique individual. And not only that, uh, but he hated Christianity, okay? He 
absolutely hated. Actually, the first time that we see him is, uh, is in Acts, um, where did it go? It's in Acts, it's in Acts is when he shows up. <laughs> Acts 9, thank you. It's what, it, yeah, it's what um, uh, Nikolai talked about last week when the stoning of Stephen. In fact, here's the, here's the timeline just to catch you up. Uh, sort of in some of the overview here. It, Acts begins with Jesus ascending. He appears to his disciples. He gives direction. He ascends back into heaven. Then the Holy Spirit comes at the day of Pentecost. Then the church begins. Then Stephen is stoned. That's what Nikolai talked about last week. Then the church scatters because they are persecuted. And so now they are going out into the places that Jesus told them to go in the first place. Now they're scattered because they're scared. Uh, but Philip... Uh, preaches in Samaria, one of the places he was told to go. Now, the stoning of Stephen, that is actually the very first place that we see Paul show up because it's, very, it's, a, it's a footnote, but they say that they laid uh, their cloaks at the feet of Saul. So Saul was there as a ringleader. He was there to oversee the stoning of Stephen. So I want to pick it up today in Acts chapter 9, uh, 1 through 22, and um, I'm just going to read through this so that we can kind of get where we're at uh, today, and then I want to, I want to point out a few uh, things that I think are very helpful to us uh, right now, particularly in how the Holy Spirit works very strategically. Meanwhile, Paul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Okay, this is Saul. Saul hates Christians. He wants to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission... A light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with, uh, with Saul stood speechless for they heard the sound of someone's voice but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for, men from Tars ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, 
The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. After he ate some food and regained his strength, Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among, uh, among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. So if you look at verse 1, you see that Saul was uttering threats and wanted to kill the Lord's followers, and then when we get down to 22, it says that, they, that the Jews could not refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. What happened here? What happened where you take someone who is among the most unlikely of candidates to become someone who is so effective a missionary in this movement? I want to talk about three things, three strategies that the Holy Spirit uses in our lives to this day, and how he used them with with Saul, with Paul here, but also how he uses them with us every day, and I think we might miss it. The first thing is this, is that the Holy Spirit pursues. The Holy Spirit pursues us. This is so important for us to know. Because I think many people have this idea of a, of a God who is far, of a distant God, of, of a God that maybe is, you know, like, yeah, maybe I do believe that God, you know, created and, and that, you know, but now he's like way far away in heaven, you know, occasionally checking in, Right? But we see that the Holy Spirit is moving, it is active, it is here, it is, it is, it is within those who follow Jesus. It, it is very close. The Holy Spirit pursues us. It's important for us to know this. It's a little bit like we have uh, some friends who uh, had a, a, a really rough week. Their, um, th- their mom uh, was out. She's an elderly woman. She was out picking mushrooms, wild mushrooms, and was and got lost. And they couldn't find her for three days. And so, at that age, and with the temperatures and everything that was going on, they thought for sure that she was gone. And then, uh, thankfully, I mean, they had all kinds of search and rescue out looking for her. Thankfully, they found her. And now, what when you know when they found her? What if she goes? Oh, there you are. I was looking for you. Right. Well, that's, that is true. She was. She was looking for him because she was, became acutely aware of how lost she was, right? And that she needed some help. But who was pursuing who? There is a search and rescue party for every single one of us, and it's called the Holy Spirit. It's, it's coming. It is pursuing every single one of us everywhere that we are. And it is not there to say, you know, to condemn us, which we'll talk about in just a moment. It is there to bring out the best in us, to say there is a better way to do life. This is the way you were designed to live. Live in this way. Jesus pursues us before we pursue him. In fact, 
uh, Paul would later write uh, to the early church in Rome. He would say this. He would say, we are confident that God is able to orchestrate everything to work towards something good and beautiful when we love him and accept his invitation to live according to his plan. Before you pursue Jesus, he was pursuing you. If you are here and you are, maybe you were dragged here, you, there's zero pursuit. No, you are being pursued by a God who loves you. For those who maybe are, are, you know, that was so long ago that you made a decision that you've forgotten. Don't forget every single day the Holy Spirit pursues. The Holy Spirit is there with you. The Holy Spirit is present. And you can see here that Jesus is pursuing someone who is adamantly opposed to him. Jesus pursues everyone. The next is the Holy Spirit convicts. Now, it is very important that we have a basic understanding of some verbiage here. Because look at what he says, uh, the Holy Spirit says in, in, uh, in verse 4 and 5. Uh, he, Paul, fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? And the voice cried, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now, one thing that is interesting to note there is that Jesus considers an attack on his church a personal attack on him. So as we, brothers and sisters, in a, in a time where it is tough to feel unified with the overall Christian church because of so much division and because of politics making its way into the center of the stage, and that has become uh, almost more important than actually becoming more like Jesus. I know that it is difficult for us to find unity amongst our Christian brothers and sisters, especially those that we don't agree with ideologically. And yet we have to remember that we are one body. We are one church. We are Jesus to this world. And Jesus considers an attack against his church an attack against him personally. But look at the way that he comes to Saul, an enemy of the church, and he says, why are you persecuting me? Like, he, he, he's, very, he's very gentle about it. I mean, he could have been so, you know, he, he, could have, he could have chosen all kinds of different ways, and it is because that is the way that the Holy Spirit works. There is a big difference between conviction and condemnation, okay? Condemnation says you'll never be better. And conviction says you can do better. There's a big difference because I think a lot of the times we'll go into a church and we'll feel con condemned. We'll feel condemnation. But that is not the work of the Holy Spirit. That is the work of the enemy of God. That is the work of someone who is trying to convince you that you are garbage. That your whole being sucks. You belong in hell that's probably where you're going. Maybe if you get lucky, you roll, the, you roll the dice right, you know, you'll get it. You do a couple favors for, for, for God, maybe he'll let you in. But you suck. All of you suck. You're sinners. You're all hellbound sinners, right? This condemnation, this idea of taking the puppy, taking the face of the puppy and shoving it into their mess over and over and over and over again, like this is good for us. Ah, now I know. Thank you, Lord. You are good. You do love me. Let me just wipe the crap off my face, right? This is condemnation. 
Conviction is different. And the Holy Spirit uses conviction, not condemnation. Condemnation pushes us further away from God. Conviction leads us closer to God. Condemnation says we'll never change. Conviction says we can make a change. Condemnation leads to despair. Conviction leads to life. Condemnation tears you down. Conviction builds you up. Condemnation makes overarching general statements, right? You'll never do this. You're always going to be this, right? Conviction is tied to a specific behavior. Condemnation is harmful. Conviction is healthy. And this is how the Holy Spirit comes to Paul, through conviction, not through condemnation. If it was condemnation, he would say, he would, he would meet him at the road. He would say, why are you persecuting me? And then he would kill him, right? I mean, he would just, he would just shoot him down right then. Or he would torture him or something. Or just say, you'll never change. You're never going to be good enough. Live the rest of your life in misery, you know? He says, why are you doing this? I have something better. He even says later to Ananias, Paul is my chosen instrument. I have a plan for him. In fact, later on in that same, in that same letter to the, to the church in Rome, Paul writes, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Where have you in your life stopped listening to the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Where, where are you just so numb to doing certain things? Perhaps it's some kind of a habitual sin, something that you know is not the best way to live, and you know that there's that check in your spirit. There's something in your heart. There's something in you that's saying, I know this isn't right, but you've doled it. You've just ignored it. You've gotten to the point where you just go, whatever. Ugh. Where have we stopped listening to conviction? And my next question is this, where in your life do you need to stop listening to condemnation? Where in your life have you just made agreements with these statements that you suck? You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to be loved. You're always going to be miserable. You're never going to be enough. You're never, you know, whatever, whatever the statement is, you've got to do more. Whatever the statement is that you believe, where in your life do you need to stop believing that and bring that to God and say, I know this is not from you. The third way that the Holy Spirit is very strategic is this. The Holy Spirit redeems and redeems specifically and strategically. Paul says this when he's writing to the church in Ephesus. He said, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Now, it's, as I mentioned before, it's very fitting that a person like Paul would say this. Why? Because he's very well educated, and he's a very good boy, right? He, he believed that he was doing all of the right things. He knew all of the right ways. He knew how to do these things. And yet he is the one saying, hey, you are not saved because of what you've done. You're saved because of what Jesus has done. And because of what Jesus has done, he is, he is making this incredible invitation to you to come and be a part of something so much bigger than yourself. Not only just here 
on this earth, but also forever in eternity. And he can use those things, but those things are not the reason why you got the invite. Those are not the reasons why you were saved. You were saved because you exist. You were saved because you are his. You were saved simply because you, you are here. He knows you. He pursues you. He longs for you. He wants to save you. Jesus saves us through his work, not our own. Then it says in, uh, in, in verse 15, But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings and as well as the people of Israel. So he's gonna, he says, he's my chosen instrument to go. Gentiles is just a biblical word for meaning people who are not Jewish. So it's not like a derogatory term. It just means a non-Jewish person. And then kings, these would be very well-educated people. And then also the people of Israel, the Jewish people, which Paul is one of those as well. God uses Paul's unique giftings, and he redeems those in pretty incredible ways. Saul, Paul, he was a devout Jew. And so God used that to reach the Jewish people. He knew the Old Testament like the back of his hand. He could quote it. And you'll see uh, coming up in, 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 uh, in Acts here now as things start shifting away from Peter and the church in Jerusalem, we're going to start seeing some of Paul's journeys here. You're going to see how Paul uses those things strategically because it makes sense. God used uh, Paul, uh, his dual citizenship, that was very rare. God used that so that Paul could move around the entire Roman Empire, which you wouldn't have been able to do if you were only uh, a citizen of Israel. So he was able to move around the Roman Empire, which again, we'll see over these next several chapters, that he's able to do that. Why? Because he has dual citizenship. He also can speak many languages. So he has suddenly this ability to go out and connect with people in their own tongue. He was educated, so God is going to use him to go to kings, to go to leaders, to go to educated people and say, this is why this makes sense. Let us reason together, he will say. God has used this unlikely candidate in incredible ways, and because of Paul, that's why we're here today. The church as we know it would not be the same if it weren't for what Paul had done. Jesus made all of us uniquely to serve a unique purpose. I wonder how many of you recognize that you are part of God's strategic plan. I wonder how many of you recognize that God wants to use your unique talents and abilities to build his kingdom in incredible, beautiful, unique, wonderful ways. I think many of us think that we're just sort of sideline people. Uh, we're here to just cheer on the people who seem to have more, you know, uh, maybe, you know, upfront gifts or things like that. No, that's not true. You are part of God's strategic plan. What gifts are you withholding from God that he wants to redeem and use in an incredible way? Where are the places in your life where you're holding back? Maybe for some of you, uh, you have yet to follow Jesus. And, so, and we want to give you an opportunity to do that today, to simply say, yes, this makes sense. I want to be in life. 
I want to know life to the full here, and I want to know eternal life forever in heaven with God. For some of you, you've already made that decision, but you've never been baptized. And what does Paul do? It says, instantly something like scales fell from his eyes, and he, re- he regained his sight. Then he got up, and he was baptized. Have you followed the example that we see in the Bible that was set first by Jesus to be baptized, to make that public declaration that says, I am following a new way. I am leaving an old life that leads to death behind, and I am raised to new life with Jesus together in this family that we call the church. If you haven't done that, I'd really encourage you. We've got baptisms coming up on November 3rd, Sunday at 2, at two o'clock. It's at a house just right down the streets in a hot tub. We would love to just, uh, we'd love to be able to celebrate that with you. If you have not done that, now's the time. Don't put it off. Don't keep putting it off. Now's the time to, to, to put that flag in the ground and say, yes, I follow Jesus. I believe in Jesus. We look at this guy, Saul, we go, hey, this guy was the most, like, there's no way. There's no way that that would happen. And yet God took him. And through the strategy and the movement of the Holy Spirit, his life was forever changed, which has changed our lives forever because of what the Holy Spirit did in the most unlikely person. That's a little bit of my story. Uh, when I was in high school, in fact, I, I went a few years ago, I went back for my 20-year high school reunion down in California, and for people that I hadn't been in touch with, they would say, oh, what do you do? And I would tell them I'm a pastor, and everybody would laugh and go, no, really, what do you do? And um, because no one would believe that the guy that was in high school uh, would, would have become a pastor, because I didn't want anything to do with it. I didn't want anything to do with God. I didn't want anything to do with the church. I didn't want anything to do with any of that stuff. I felt so burned by all of that stuff. I saw through it. I saw the, the, the gross underbelly. I just thought, there's no, no thanks. I did whatever I wanted to do. I had an awful mouth. I hated, you know, I would mock the church. I would, I would you know, I just, I just didn't want anything to do with it. And I wasn't a very good kid in high school. And... I remember one day, it was my senior year, I was coming into school, and I was uh, part of the, the, the Associated Student Body of the ASB, and I was there early to go to a meeting, and saw some of my friends who were there, and they were around the flagpole praying. Did anybody have that at their high school, like pray at the pole thing? And there was a friend of mine who was doing that, and, um, and I remember seeing them, and I immediately rolled my eyes and thought, why would you wake up early for that? What a waste. And I kid you not, the very next thought that came into my mind was, you know, I think one day I'll be in ministry. I'm not kidding. And it, like, stopped me. I thought, what was that? You know, like, oh, I must must still be drunk. And so, like, I, there was something very wrong. And then... That afternoon, one of my friends who was there at the flagpole, she came up and we were talking and she said, oh, hey, I just wanted you to know I was praying for you this morning. And I said, oh, thanks, you know, like she said, no, I was praying, I was praying that God would give you a clear direction for your future. I was like, no, you didn't. (laughs) No. 
And then here I am through weird twists and turns. And, you know, I was the most reluctant pastor and church planner you've ever met. And here we are today in a place that I would actually go to church. You guys are just such a beautiful, wonderful community. And I am uh, humbled. that God would choose me to be a part of this because I didn't want anything to do with it. And yet here I am, and I couldn't imagine my life without it. I wonder how many people like that are in your life today. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information and resources, go to raincitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.